you haven't met yet, my name is Johnny. I'm one of the pastors and uh, kind of had quite the disappointing week this week. Um, not because of yesterday. Uh, Sunday, last Sunday, my wife, uh, she came down with the flu and then it just went dun dun till uh, Monday night. Uh, I had one of my daughters wake up puked, you know, puking at 12.20, which is like the worst thing you can wake up to uh, when you wake up in the middle of the night. And then the following night, uh, another daughter got sick. And then, of course, uh, Wednesday, it took me out. And so we spent Thanksgiving just loving life, just uh, enjoying the flu together. And uh, so what you're going to get is, so Friday, I'm recovering, and I, uh, I called Joel. I was like, Joel, uh, do you mind if, like, we could tag team this teaching? It's been quite the week, so you get a little bit of one-two punch this morning. I'm going to set it up uh, for us, and then Joel's going to kind of come and bring it home for us. And so um, with that, we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into our Advent series. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for this season, um, this Advent season, this idea of, of Advent means coming. It means to, to prepare ourselves, to prepare our hearts for your coming once again. And we thank you for just the themes that we are going to be speaking about uh, over the next four weeks. And just uh, these things are just essential for a life with you. That these are the gifts that, that you bring. And these are the things that we actually bring to the world. So Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you bring power on this message? Would your presence be with us this morning? That we would walk away experiencing more of you and who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning we lit our first ca- uh, Advent candle. How many grew up with like the Advent candle? Anybody do that? Like it was just something we, we decided to bring back just a little bit of the different themes of Advent. And the first one is what we call the, the hope candle. And uh, I just thought for this, preparing for this, uh, this sermon and this idea of hope, uh, I decided, how could I visualize hope? I'm a visual learner. I like visualizing things. And so if you Google hope, uh, for some reason, this is like the typical image you get, is somehow it is a, like a flower or a plant, uh, you know, growing through a crack in the cement. And uh, I don't know about you, I just think of Roundup when I just see this. Like, <laughs> it's just, it just needs some Roundup and uh, we'd be good. Uh, and that's not quite the image of hope that I get when I think of hope. Um, and I, my goal is, this whole series, or this, even the sermon, you would get a, a visual that you could hold on to of just what hope truly is, and how we all truly need more hope in our life. I'm going to give a little bit of a pic- different picture. It's a little cheesy, um, because sometimes my visualizations get a little che- cheesy. But I, I want you to visualize hope in this, that that hope is something you affix to or attach yourself to. It's either an object, it's something, it's a person, or uh, a something that you would love to see it happen. And if it gets fulfilled in the future, it would bring some sort of fulfillment, joy, wholeness into your life. Uh, it's, it's, you know, so it needs an object. Hope needs something to hold on to, and it's something future-oriented to bring about these things in our life. And so we, we all have hope. It also brings with it, and why I picked a rocket, is because hope in and of itself has a force, it has an energy, it has a a fuel about it, a power, a strength, to be able to withstand and overcome obstacles that are thrown in its way, that that things that would, would want to prevent this future from coming into fruition. 
Admiral William McRaven. He's, he's, uh, he's credited with organizing the, the special op ops raid that led to the killing of Osama bin Laden. He said, hope is one of the most powerful forces in the world, that we all need hope. If you are a Star Wars fan, I mean, Star Wars fans we have, right? Uh, I just, that's what I did when I was sick. You know, Thanksgiving was trying to catch up on Andor, um, and, um, and I, w I had to rewatch Rogue One. And there's this line that says, right, rebellions are built on hope, right? It's a force, it's an energy. You need hope. But more than Star Wars, we need hope in our life. If you are a mom and you have given birth, you've had to have hope. Because giving birth ain't easy. I mean, you know, being there with the wife is pretty hard. Uh, with the mom is, is a lot of hard work. But actually giving birth, the energy, the strength, the pain that comes, you need hope, right? To that, at, when that is fulfilled, it's going to bring about a joy, a fulfillment, a wholeness. If you've had a, a, a medical diagnosis, whether it's, it's, it's cancer or that sort of thing, you need hope to withstand, you know, all the side effects of chemo to, to get to the end. You need hope. There's a, there's a famous book, A Man's Search for Meaning, where the author, Viktor Frankl, he, he was uh, in the concentration camps of World War II, and you've heard me maybe say this before, but hope was a determining factor if you would survive. If there was just a slimmer of hope that you could be reunited with your family one day, that, that, would, that survival to get through the day would keep you going. But if that little hope went away, it almost assuredly left to giving up that will to live or that will to survive. You need hope. And I'm assuming at some point you're here this morning because of hope. That, that you're here this morning, whether you're watching online or you came to the service, with some sort of expectation, hopefully some sort of belief that I'm going to land this rocket ship and you're going to experience some more joy. Maybe, maybe a step towards fulfillment. Maybe a step towards wholeness in your life. And maybe you were dragged here. I don't know. right? But you're here. And I would hope that you would have some hope. And Christmas, right, brings with itself all sorts of hope. There's an energy and life around Christmas. It's, it's this idea that Christmas in and of itself will, will bring you some sort of joy and fulfillment and will allow you to withstand the lines uh, of shopping and the credit card payments or whatever to, because you believe in the idea of hope. But with hope also comes to this other opportunity for something else. That with hope comes great possibility, but also there's an opportunity for something like this. And I'm going to show a quick little video to embody this as parents uh, decided to give their kids an, an early Christmas present a couple weeks before and then recorded their reactions. So let's watch this. What is it? An old banana. An old banana? Isn't that exciting? No. What are you doing? Pushing it. Oh, okay. Wow. A battery and an onion. What's wrong? I don't want an onion. Did you smell your onion? Here, smell it. What is that? I got a girl activity book of stickers. 
right. Worst Christmas ever. I, uh, whoa, it's raining. I'm going to have to preach a little louder. I, I was tempted to do this with my kids, but, you know, um, I did not want them to have the worst Christmas ever. That's that idea of disappointment, right? So with hope comes disappointment. I embody this, that, that either that rocket, whatever you attach your, your hope towards, either comes crashing down or if you actually land to where it's supposed to be, um, it doesn't bring about that unfulfillment or that desire or not enough, right? And we all experienced a little bit of that yesterday, that putting our hope in a football team and it doesn't come to fruition, there's, there's a sadness, right? A displeasure. And, and with hope, there's an energy, disappointment. There's, a, there's this feelings of let down, confusion, angst, sadness. I heard two guys in the lobby breaking down all the problems with Ohio State. Some defined it as um, a feat of a defeat or failure of hope. This is disappointment. If you're familiar with the feelings wheel, it's actually a part of your feelings under the category of sadness and even hurt and disappointment. And, uh, and then, so we all, of course, have episodes of disappointment in our life. We have all these different episodes in our life. But what I think as I look at culturally and I look at the world around us, I just see there's like this undercurrent of disappointment in our, in our culture. Like there's just an undercurrent that this is like the, the emotion that many of us or many people I experience are struggling with is this idea of continual disappointment. And that actually isn't anything new. One, one sociologist, he made the observation that the primary emotion, maybe the main emotion of the adult, like Western culture American, who has all the advantages of wealth, education, and culture, is disappointment. He made this actually observation in 1983 in his, one of his books. He explains that the accelerating revolution in science and technology didn't bring about it with a revolution in joy or excitement. To the contrary, it added a new depth to our disenchantment in work, family life, school, politics, church, our social interactions in generally. Disappointment has kind of become the new normal. And true or certain hope seems hard to come by. And this idea of power of hope, I mean, this is, this is why we're marketed over and over again. If you just get this product, right, if you buy this thing, it's going to change your life. It's going to transform your life. And I think we've been disappointed over and over in products, right? They never deliver. So the question I want to ask you guys all this morning is if you picture yourself on a rocket and, uh, and your hope has a tank, how, how full is your hope tank this morning? How, how if, you, if you could picture in your mind that this, this, this hope is a tank in your life, uh, is it full? And what are you using to fill up that tank? So we're going to talk about this with the Christmas story. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. All right, because uh, obviously Christmas is all about hope. And uh, we're going to talk about the, the original Christmas story and, and a situation in a culture where hope was pretty low. Uh, it was, uh, you know, in, in that culture, in that context, if, if you were not someone who believed in God, you put your hope in, in idols and many gods that if, if you just did the right things and appeased all these different gods, you would find the fulfillment that you wanted. But there's this group of people, these Israelites, that they were set apart because they believed in one true God. 
and they called him Yahweh. This was the Yahweh God. And uh, they, they had this hope that all of their hope could be found in him. And that one day that this God's going to send a Messiah, someone who's going to bring them to this future that was promised long ago. In the book of Isaiah, it was 700 years before what we're going to read about um, and what Nikki read uh, to us this morning. There was this prophecy in Isaiah that one day out of the stump of David's family would grow a shoot and it would be a banner of salvation to the whole world. And so it had been 400 years since the Israelites had last heard from God. And so this is kind of the stage we are set in. It was not a good time for the Israelites. They are overcome. They're, they're being ruled and occupied by the, the Roman Empire. Um, if you think, some, some even say that their tax rate was somewhere between 80 to 90% of their income was taxed to the Roman government. That they're, like, they just could barely get by based on just the Roman Empire over them. Yet in the midst of this disappointment culture, this different thing, there is a sign of hope. Would you read with, with me in Matthew 1, verses 18? It says, The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. So I'm going to stop here. And I want to actually just kind of break this down a little bit. Because sometimes we just kind of miss over Joseph a little bit. Like, he's just kind of there, you know. Um, and, and just I want to think about, I've been, when I was preparing for this, I just thought about the disappointment that Joseph must have had. I mean, just imagine the hope that you have. Uh, we just saw last Sunday Ricky get married, and with weddings and getting married, there's lots of excitement, there's lots of hope. And so uh, in, this, in this culture, they would, they would get engaged first, and, it, and their engagement was much more like a wedding. It was this idea of coming together and making these promises, and, and uh, there was a more official ceremony that it was involved with that, but it wasn't yet, they weren't yet married. And then it would take about a year where the husband would then go back and he'd actually prepare a home for his wife. He, most likely that would have happened um, at his own father's house. Like they would add, just add on to, to the father's house or even on that property. And so for that whole year, um, he would be preparing, right, for, and building and doing all these things. And in the midst of that year, this is not distracting at all, is it? Um, it's just what it is. Um, in the midst of that year, it kind of comes out that Mary's obviously pregnant. And I just like, I don't know, I, this is how I think. I'm like, I wonder how that went down. You know, like, okay, I, I wasn't involved in that, uh, that happening. And, and just the disappointment that, that would have come over Joseph. And I don't know if Mari Povich was there and he read a report, Joseph, you are not the father. Um, but there, I'm sure Joseph has been overcome with disappointment and, and what he had hoped his family would look like, what he had hoped what his future would be like, that, that all of this was coming to a crash. And, and it says Joseph was a righteous man, and, and you're going to read a little bit. It says that he pondered what to do or he considered what to do. That word actually meant it was like this emotional experience, like he was just torn up inside and in what to do over the disappointment of what happened. And so he had two decisions. He could either try to save more of his reputation and make a, a public spectacle out of it, and, and that, that, was, that had uh, horrible ramifications for Mary, 
Or the other option was just to do it secretly, let the gossip happen, and try to protect Mary. And so Joseph decides, okay, I'll just do that. I'm just going to divorce her secretly. But we're going to keep reading. In the midst of that, this is what happens. Verse 20, but after he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Then Joseph woke up and he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. What I wanted to point out in this scripture, just very quickly, is that Matthew, the writer of this gospel, he chose to quote Isaiah again. This is out of chapter 9, but it's this idea, uh, this virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. He decides to quote Isaiah. And the book Isaiah has two main purposes, two main messages. There was a message of judgment, that because of the behavior and the worship of all these other idols, uh, God was bringing about a righteous judgment on the people of Israel. But also in the book of Isaiah, there's a message of hope, that God is going to be in the midst of that judgment, and there's going to be a message of hope. And so what Matthew is actually uh, just strategically pointing is he's now saying the season of judgment is now over, and now it's a season of hope. And this is the sign. This is the sign that, that we're entering into a season of hope, and it comes, I want you to visualize, it's a baby, it's Emmanuel. It is God with us. This is the sign that says we are now in a season of hope, not judgment. And this is the message that we live by. This is what the hope that we all get to fixate on. It's fixating on this idea that God is with us. We are in a season of hope. And it's a hope that says there is no longer a future where God is not there. I'm going to say that again. It's now a hope that there is no longer a future where God is not there. God is with us. And this is the hope for the sake of the whole world. In Isaiah 11, we said this is salvation to all the world. This sign was not just for the Israelites, but it was for the whole world. This is our hope. This is what we fixate and put our hope in. And unless God's in it, right, I don't want my hope attached to it. And that's the, the thing I want us to get to is, is unless God's in it, unless God's with us, then we don't put our hope attached to it. Paul would reinforce this in his letter to Romans. He's, he's trying to encourage them to keep and maintain their hope in Jesus despite all the hard circumstances and the struggles that they were having between the Jews and Gentiles. Again, he quotes Isaiah. Same passage. He says in Romans 15, 12 through 13, he says, Again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will appear. The one who rises to rule the Gentiles, the Gentiles will hope in him. Now may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when our hope is fixated on God with us, and it says we will have a hope tank that overflows, that 
we continue to affix a, on this idea that God is with us. Later in Romans 5, Paul would say, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. See, we continually fixate our hope on this idea of God with us. And as I was uh, preparing and challenging, I always kind of like to sit back and kind of just do a reflective analysis of my own life because I never want to preach something that I don't, I'm not actually just living out. And I began to just ask God questions like, man, I, I don't know if people would may interact with me like, Johnny, man, your hope tank is just overflowing. It's like, can you turn that faucet off? You just got so much hope in your life. Can you just tone it down a little bit? And I, and I began just uh, reflecting on just navigating maybe some of the disappointments and the challenges and maybe the discouragement that I've been experiencing in my life and just a prayer, God, I, I want to have my tank filled with your hope, that this idea of God with us. And, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago as a staff, we went to our regional retreat and uh, and uh, it was the last worship set, and I'm worshiping, and, and it was one of those, like, nothing, nothing crazy was happening. I'm just worshiping and just kind of wrestling with God with just some of that, that discouragement and disappointment and different things. And, and I just overwhelmingly just felt this invitation to continue to worship, to experience just God's presence even in the midst of this kind of hardships. And, and I, I remember what stuck out to me was nothing crazy happened, but I, this overwhelming sense came over me as, oh, I have this hope that no matter what's been going on in my life, I, I can always come back to this place that God's with me, that, that God's with me, that, that my hope is in God, no matter what's happening around me. And then immediately, overwhelmingly, it was, man, I want people to encounter this hope. Like, I want people to encounter and experience what I'm experiencing, that even in the midst of hardships of life, they can still find them this themselves in this place of hope. And so what we're going to transition to is I'm going to have Joel come up and then talk about how do then we pass this hope on to other people. Because hope is a powerful thing and we have the ability to pass this hope on to other people. And, and Joel is great at this and he has a great heart for this. And, and I could just share story after story but I, I don't have time and so I'm going to let Joel uh, share how do we share hope with other people. Thank you, Johnny. Um, you know, as Johnny was saying, our culture is full of disappointment, and, and you see this need for hope come out of our cultural consciousness. He, he shared one, for instance. I mean, uh, the whole Star Wars thing, if you think about it, I mean, it starts in 1977 with an episode that becomes called not just Star Wars, but A New Hope. And then, you know, in 2016, you see Princess Leia, a very CGI, computerized one, received the plans to the Death Star, and they, somebody asks, what is that flash drive that she's holding? And she goes, hope. And then he refers to the latest TV you know, show, Andor, which is all about hope. And so, again, sci-fi, goofy, you may not be into it, whatever. But what it does show is there's this reoccurring theme of people are looking for hope. It, it comes out in our, our TV shows, our movies, our cartoons. Uh, this month is the 70th anniversary, 70th year anniversary of Charlie Brown trying to kick a football from Lucy. Uh, and the last time Charles Schultz drew that in 1999, uh, 
Charlie still had not kicked the football. And the reason was, is Charles Schultz wanted Charlie Brown to represent the common man, the everyday person who suffers disappointment, yet still gets up and tries to kick the ball again, still has hope, and still maintains his relationships and friendships in the midst of disappointment. Uh, He wanted him to be this character of hope. And so even in our own culture right now, we have this longing for hope. All that to say, too, you know, uh, you know, Johnny has kind of been saying that, that disappointment is kind of a gift for us in the sense of it causes us to reflect. Even that last story showed in the midst of worship and, and am I a hope-filled person and the disappointments, it, it becomes, disappointment becomes those opportunities to, to look at ourselves and take inventory and say, am, what is my uh, hope fixated on? Where is my rocket ship pointed, to use his graphic, right? Uh, and so disappointment doesn't have to be just a downer. It can, we can leverage it to actually help us grow in our maturity in Christ. Now, but, but all this then to say, too, to ask this question is, how could we be hope for the sake of the world? That's the name of our whole series. So each Advent theme will leverage on that of how do we do this and, and, and be, whether it's hope or peace or love or joy, how do we do that for the sake of the world? How do we be hope-filled people for the sake of the world? I want to take a look at, at a couple verses. And just to give you some context, it's, it's, it's in First Peter, and we'll, we'll look at chapter 3 there. And the context of it, Peter is writing a culture, as Johnny had already told us, in the Roman world was very difficult. People were under heavy taxation. Just normal life could be tough. Just having enough food could be tough. Uh, the next famine could, could be here at any moment. Plagues would sweep through cities. Life could be difficult. And then it seemed like the, the upper echelon of Roman society Society, they were becoming more and more affluent, more and more rich, while the poor were getting poor, and there was this discontent in the, in the uh, Roman Empire. And the emperors began to get crazier and, and crazier, it seemed like, um, to the point of probably around the time this, this letter would have been written, there would have been Emperor Nero, who uh, accuses Christians of burning down half of Rome or part of Rome, uh, when in all actuality it was Nero who most likely started the fire because his Senate wouldn't approve his building projects. And so he said, oh, you won't let me redesign the city? I'll just burn it down and we'll have to redesign it, you know? And then he blames all that on Christians. Christians were becoming more and more persecuted, first in, lo- in localities, just in their own town, their own neighbors thought they were weird, and then, and then it spread to the whole Roman Empire, and the whole nation began to persecute them. Rumors began to go around about Christians. Rumors like uh, they're cannibals because they end their services eating the flesh and drinking the blood of somebody because they'd misunderstood communion. But rumors began to go out. They were called atheists because they wouldn't worship Roman gods or the emperor. And they began to have persecution. It's in this whole mix that Peter talks about their suffering and their pain and their disappointments. He says this in 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16a. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Always be ready to answer this question. Why are you so hopeful? 
Why, why are you followers of Jesus? Like, you're having to deal with all the cruddiness of life like we are, but on top of it, we're actually making fun of you. Some of you are getting put in prison and beat up for being Christians. You're being ostracized in your own community. So you have all of our problems, plus all the problems our society is pointing towards Christians. But yet in the midst of it, you're so hopeful. And Peter says, in that moment, be ready to a- answer that question. Why are you hopeful? So let me just give you some practical ways of how we can have hope for the sake of the world. Um, Number one, be hopeful yourself by reminding yourself of the source of hope. In fact, the first two practical things I'm going to give you is about yourself. You know, if we're going to be the kind of people that get asked that question, why are you so hopeful, we actually have to be hopeful people, right? (laughs) Like, if, if we're, you know, downers all the time, if we're the cynics in the, in the office break room, if we're the sarcastic ones all the time, if we're the ones always complaining, nobody's going to ask us, why are you hopeful? We're not going to stand out from anybody else. See, Peter just presupposed that you and I would be the kind of people that people would look to and go, man, you're different. You're different than everybody else. You actually have hope. So be hopeful yourself. Well, how do you do that? Well, you know, throughout Peter's uh, little letter here, I think, I think just in the very beginning, the word hope appears in, the, in chapter one. But, but listen to this. And, and, and maybe this is the kind of thing we need to tell ourselves often or read every day to help us get our hope fixated on the right spot, which would be in Jesus himself, God with us. Listen to First Peter 1, 3 through 9. Praise be to the God and our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you and through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though for now you may have to suffer a little grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Man, doesn't it? Like, you just say that every day? Like, you get up and read that with some faith and gusto, my guess is your hope level will go up. Did you catch some of that? Though you haven't seen him, you love him. None of us have seen Jesus. Yet you love him. It's why you're here. And even though you don't see him, you believe in him. And what happens as you put your faith in Jesus? You are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith. Like the end result of your faith, you're saved. You have a living hope in Jesus. And so sometimes to get the rocket ship pointed in the right direction, some of the best things you can do to get hopeful is just remind yourself of what Christ has done for you and why you have a reason to hope. This world is not your home, ultimately. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth that you'll reside in. Your identity isn't what everybody else has told you your identity. Your identity is that you're a new creation in Christ, right? The God of the universe who's seen all of your sins, all everything that you would be embarrassed and ashamed of if we started playing videos of your life. 
The God of the universe has seen all that, and yet he has chosen to die for you, rise from the dead, and live in your heart. Brothers and sisters, that gives us reasons to be hopeful. Second way you can be hopeful, be hopeful yourself. So the first two reasons I'm giving you is like, we need to be hope-filled people so people even see a difference in our lives. Be hopeful yourself by being filled with the Holy Spirit regularly. Johnny read to us from Romans 5 and to Romans 15, and both of those passages, Romans 5, 3 and Romans 15, 13, both say that part of the Holy Spirit's job, the very presence of, of Christ in our hearts, his job is to actually reveal hope and make us hopeful. You want to be more hopeful? Then get filled with the Spirit more regularly. Engage in worship. Receive more of the Spirit. At your small groups, regularly ask for prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. At the end of this service, we'll give a prayer ministry time where anybody who wants to be filled afresh and anew with the Spirit can receive the Spirit. And I am confident of this, that when we ask our loving Heavenly Father for more of the Spirit, He will pour it out on every individual who asks. And you will receive the Spirit, and you will become more hopeful. See, in the first century, when they received the Spirit, they got hopeful because all those first century believers knew this, that for thousands of years... The people of God have been waiting for two signs to happen that would say the new age has begun, the age when all wrongs would be righted, and the recreation of this world would begin. And the two things they were looking for was resurrection from the dead, in this case Jesus, and they were looking for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which came at Pentecost. And so every time the believers gathered to worship the risen Christ, and every time they received a new filling of the Spirit, they were reminded this world will not stay as it is. There is someone at work who is recreating this world and renewing all things, and there will be a day when all things will be renewed, and all injustice will be punished, and all the righteousness will be rewarded, and we will spend eternity with heaven. You want more hope in your life? Then get filled with the Spirit. You know, and as you're getting filled with the Spirit, and you're reminded that the end, when Jesus makes all things right, has already begun, my, this helps me become more hopeful when things get bad. I ask myself this question. What will I be doing 10,000 years from now? That tends to put some things into perspective, brothers and sisters. <laughs> you just ask yourself, what am I doing in 10,000 years? And whatever, it's not to ignore what I'm going through. You've been here long enough to know that we talk a lot about emotional health and grieving and lamenting, very important but some of our disappointments just pale in comparison to eternity. And so as you're receiving the Spirit, you're reminded that the world will not stay as it is, and it will be brand new. Finally, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. You know, there's so much for people to be disappointed in right now. People put so much of their hope in politics and in a polarized society where we're always on this 50-50 margin. That means at any given time, 50% of the population is disappointed because <laughs> we're all putting our hope in this stuff. It's crazy. And then now, like, everybody's disappointed because we've got a divided Congress, so nobody won, right? Like, ah, like, oh, man, well, we won this, we didn't win that. You know, so there's, like, all this disappointment. With inflation, you know, your groceries are costing you 30% more than they did last year. That's a thing. It's easy to be disappointed. And here's the thing. Everybody we come in contact with at the coffee shop or at school or at work or at our families, they're all living in this disappointment. And you and I have an opportunity for evangelism to share our faith because of the hope that we have. I find it helpful to inject hope into conversations. 
people are talking about how bad, you know, uh, their 401k is when, when the stock market tanks. Uh, you know, a simple comment like, man, I'm glad our hope doesn't have to be in Wall Street. You know, a simple comment like that can go a long way. And if somebody is spiritually attuned or receptive, they'll ask a follow-up question, well, what do you mean your hope isn't in Wall Street? Well, then you get an opportunity to share where your hope is. When somebody complains about gas prices, you can redirect the conversation, I'm glad our hope doesn't have to be in gas prices. You just keep going down the line. I'm glad our hope doesn't have to be in our political leaders, our bosses, our promotions, our lack of promotions. Um, I'm glad our hope doesn't have to be in getting the jelly of the month club instead of that new pool I wanted, you know? Um, So, I mean, that's a cultural reference for five of you. But anyway, so, you know, our hope can be in something else. And when it is in Jesus, we have opportunities every time we get around people because there's so much disappointment in the world, we can bring hope in and we can redirect conversations and inject hope. If you're really bold or you have a deep relationship with with somebody, you can just jump in and say, you know, I was disappointed all the time until I found out that my hope doesn't have to be in my circumstances. It's an easy way to turn a conversation. You know, man, I just lived disappointed all of the time until I found out hope doesn't need to be in my circumstances. And they ask, well, what's your hope in? You say, well, I know this may sound hokey, my hope's in Jesus, and what I have found is that he is a sure rock that never fails, and that he'll be here no matter what happens on my best days, my worst days. I can trust in him, and he will never fail me. Encouragement brings hope to people. Just simply telling people, man, you do a great job. I find myself doing that at coffee shops and restaurants and people that are, you know, even Black Friday when people were just getting swamped at the registers. I say, man, you're doing a great job right now. It's amazing. You got all these people just, you know, trying to get the latest and greatest and it's busy, but man, you're just doing well. I mean, just little comments like that bring hope to people. Our hope is fixated on God with us. If you want a hopeful world, then be full of hope yourself. Be hope for the sake of the world. I want to close with a with a with a short story and then we're gonna do communion and continue to worship. So um you know, I didn't witness this story. I heard about it when I was actually in college. It happened while I was in college. But a, a sister college of ours had been traveling to a, a uh, basketball tournament. The girls' basketball team was headed towards Michigan. And while they were in Michigan, about 1030 at night, the, the van that the, the girls' basketball team was in uh, hit black ice and rolled over. And one of the players, she'd actually been elected uh, homecoming queen about four days before this incident happened, um, uh, she was killed when the van rolled over. Um, she was just an incredible person. Everybody said she was great. And she loved the Lord. She was deeply spiritual. And so that whole campus of Cincinnati Bible College, they, they grieved this. I knew of the family because her mom and dad were kind of famous in the circles that I was in at the time because uh, he was a well-loved uh, pastor in the Lexington area. Their name, Mom and dad's name was... Wally and Barbara and the young lady who passed away was named Jill. So I was on campus and heard this story as it was happening. And then several of my friends who knew uh, Wally personally went to the funeral. And so at the funeral with 
a 21-year-old daughter in the casket, and it's, it's just, there's just a heaviness the whole time, and just a deep, palpable grief in the room of how could somebody's life be taken this quick, and it's heavy. At the end of the service, they sang Jill's favorite worship song, and as everybody sat very deliberately, very intentionally, Wally and Barbara, mom and dad, they stand up, and they raise their hands. They begin to worship the Lord. And a buddy of mine, who I actually called uh, uh, 25 years after the story happened, I called him to ask him about details about the story. He said, in that moment, Joel, despair and disillusionment, hopelessness was turned to hope when mom and dad fixated their eyes on the God with us on Jesus. They still had to work through their grief. They still had to work through untold disappointment. And yet in that moment, by fixating in their eyes on Jesus, they received a hope in worship that not only propelled them, but everybody in that room could feel hope. In fact, as my friend that I called to, to ask him that story, 25 years after the story had happened, on the phone, he began crying as he shared the experience of what it was like to be in that room. You see, if we fixate our eyes on Jesus, we can be a people of hope, no matter what our circumstances are. And as we're that hopeful, we can be hope for the sake of the world. I'm going to invite Johnny to come up in the worship team as we take communion. And um, what I would say is, is, in just a moment, I'll invite you to stand, but I wonder if maybe this time it's a little more intentional, <laughs> a little more deliberate, that as we fixate our eyes on God with us through these elements, perhaps as you stand, you'll make a conscious decision to say, what, no matter what my disappointments are, Jesus can cover them all, and Jesus can give me hope through whatever I'm going through. So maybe even in the act of standing could be your intentional and deliberate act of saying, I want to be a hope-filled person. So would you, would you stand with me?